0: Brother Trey is being very good to me today. That has become one of my new favorite hymns. If you, I would encourage you, I do not have time to tell you the story, but go and look up the story of the, of the man who composed that hymn. You, you can go Google it and you will be thoroughly blessed, but it is a wonderful story and uh, behind that hymn and it has become such a joy to me uh, that it has become a, a new uh, a new consistent hymn that we have been singing in our family worship, even if my kids don't like it as much as I do. But anyways, I am the head of the house, so therefore we get to sing it. <laughs> it may be they don't like their dad singing the way his their dad sings it, but either way. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 4 verse 22. Luke chapter 4 verse 22 If you were to if you are to um, go into the small community of Calvin and you return there on 501 just about a block or so you will come to Calvin Baptist Church if you were to attend there uh, in worship and you were to sit on the uh, left hand side so my, my right hand side here if you were to there in the back on the first pew right there as you walk through the doors unless they have changed the pews out or something you would find there on the back pew uh, the, with the, right in front of you the initials for Brian McAllister that were carved in a uh, with a paper clip I pray God has forgiven me for dist- for doing that I sat there many a Sundays in worship, sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, singing hymns out of the highway hymnal, walking through the halls, going to Sunday class. I was in Sunday school more times than I can count, and I sat there in the back until God sanctified me, and I moved to the front. Just to let those of you in the back know, you get sanctified, you move to the front. And so, I just remember just there's so many memories of that place and of being in that church and i remember that god saved me there in the gym that he that he brought me to conviction and to the confession not only of my sins but of him and the lord there in the gym and i remember the days i can't remember the first day but i do remember the times that i even preached in the pulpit that stands there today and there are great memories of that place. And great memories of the people, Mr. Benny, Miss Minnie Martin, Miss Beverly, and others that were there. Um, Just great, wonderful memories. There is something very special when you get to go home and you get to preach in the pulpit of the church that you were raised in. But yet there is also a difficulty that does come with that. Because this is a community that I was raised in, and so this is a community that knows me well and remembers my transgressions. And that we, and you and I, we, we feel this. There are people who know us who, or who remember us and what we were like. And so sometimes it is hard for them to, to truly embrace the grace of God that has changed our life and even the message of salvation that we now bring and we now testify. And so I would even say this, that it is that rejection that which I believe is hardest on us. That when you and I proclaim the gospel and testify of the goodness of God to our family, our friends, our neighbors, especially those that we grew up with and went to class with and graduated with and those types of places, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, that their rejection of our message can be very hard and difficult to accept, especially if they are a people, are a religious people. In our text this morning, Jesus has started his Galilean ministry. And so Jesus has been was was brought up there in his the hometown of Nazareth. And the rumors of his miracles, the rumors of his preaching and his teaching have now circulated from Judea all the way back to Nazareth. And so he has now come back and he has not just come back on any day, he has come he is there on the Sabbath day. And so they afford him the opportunity to stand In the very place which he himself as a child, a teenager, and a young man grew up, being taught the Word of God, they now afford him the opportunity that he would stand, read the Word of God, and as we saw last week, he would sit in the chair and then teach the people. They would have church. The very synagogue that he attended growing up, he would now preach from. But the return home is not very pleasant. What transpires before us today, beloved, is the very thing that you and I read several weeks ago, or several months ago actually, in Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35, when Jesus as a child is brought into the temple and he's presented there and Simeon takes him into his arms and he looks to Mary and he begins to prophesy and he says to Mary, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. He is a sign to be opposed, and for a sign to be opposed. In today's sermon, I've entitled it, No Place Like Home, where last week, No Place Like Home, the mission of the Messiah. Today is No Place Like Home, the Messiah's rejection. And here's the big idea. The religious people of Nazareth, though amazed at his teaching and desire his miracles, reject him as their Messiah, revealing their unbelief. Let me say it again. The religious people of Nazareth, though amazed at his teaching and desire for miracles, they reject him as their Messiah, revealing their unbelief. And it is my hope this morning that in this text and through the preaching of this text, that it will help you and I today as a church examine our own hearts for unbelief that may lurk there. And seek repentance for unhealthy religious practices. There's three points that I want to present to you this morning from this text. I want you to see the shallow praise, the sinful rebuke, I'm sorry, the sinful denial, and then the stern rebuke. The shallow praise, the sinful denial, and the stern rebuke. If you will, Luke chapter 4, and we will begin in verse 20, let's begin in verse 21, we'll back up, verse 22 is where we're going to be, but verse... Twenty-one. He began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now verse 22. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He said to them, And truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his own town. But I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, and when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, the land of Sidon, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage at the, as they heard these things, and they got up and they drove him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built, and in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went on his way. May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. I want you to notice first the shallow praise. Here in verse twenty-two, we see in verse the first part of that verse. Everything seems to be going well. This is exactly what a preacher wants to happen. He wants to preach. And he would love to hear the gracious or the wonderful uh, words of, of, um, of approval and praise. And just like, ah, oh, what a great sermon, Pastor. What a great sermon that was. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus preached a wonderful sermon. And as you notice, it says that they were speaking well of him and they were wondering, they were amazed. They were they were contemplating the gracious words which were falling from his lips, the gracious words. That means they were fascinated and it was just flowing. It's not like I do. And I stutter through things or make mistakes. It was just a it was perfect. It was just, it, it was all, and the tense, of, by the way, in this, is in the imperfect tense, meaning it was over and over. So it was like murmuring. So after the sermon, the people were just, they were just turned to one another and they were just talking like, wasn't that good? Oh, that was really good. That was a great sermon. Yeah. I, man, maybe he'll stay here and teach us some more. They, they really enjoyed it. They really liked it. It sounded really well. We shouldn't be surprised, should we, though? Obviously, he is... Christ, he is the Messiah, he is perfect. Jesus was a very, very, very good preacher. The perfect man had perfect speech. There has never been one throughout all of history who could preach and teach and speak like this man. And so this is affirmed all throughout the New Testament, but just As one proof text, we saw it in uh, last week or or, or maybe two weeks ago in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 14 to 15. You may remember it says, news about him spread through the surrounding district. And they began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Everyone was praising him. All throughout, Luke wants us to know that as he starts his Galilean ministry, everybody's going to be praising him. We know from the Sermon on the Mount that there in chapter 7 at the end, they were, they were amazed. They said, none of our Pharisees, none of our, our religious scholars and teachers and preachers can preach like this one. They love to hear Christ teach the word of God. But as we see in verse 28 and 30, their praise did not last long Notice verse 28, it says, And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which the city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. So it starts out really well, ends really badly. You see, at first, the message sounded really good, but then they get into the message and they begin to realize what he was teaching once they realized that the, the message that he was, the truth that he was portraying, they said, whoa, it doesn't matter how good your words are, it doesn't matter how, how great speech you have, we don't like the message. We don't like what you're, what you're trying to tell us. Once the preacher confronted their sin, once he rebuked them and confronted their unbelief, and that's what he does with these, with these two Old Testament stories, he wants to call them to repentance here, the praise begins to stop. Don't you come tell us that we're unbelievers. Don't you tell us that God likes the, the Gentile believer more than he likes the Jew. Now, beloved, I've never had anyone try to throw me off a cliff yet. I'm glad there are not many or any in Jonesboro. But I have been slandered. I've had, I've had men point, place their fingers in my face and shake it and yell at me. I've been gossiped about by members within the church, I've had members get up and leave early, I've had members who have refused, they'll, they'll come to school, but they refuse, they will not come to hear me preach. I have had people say things on Facebook, never really about my name in general, but you know it was about me, and other different things, but never have I been thrown off, or had anybody attempt to throw me off a cliff or, cliff or murder me, so praise God for that, amen? amen. Thank you, Kim, Amen. But Augustine was right. Men love truth when it enlightens, but they hate truth when it confronts. Let me say it again. They, they love truth. They love men with good speech, and they love the, the message when it enlightens them, when it, when it goes with what they say. But they hate truth when it confronts them. And the same is even said about the messenger. They love the messenger when the messenger is with them. But, but when, when we get at a crossroads, you know, all of a sudden a fork in the road, then, then we no longer like the messenger. We hate the messenger. The thing is with Jesus is that this, in the will of God, this all happens so fast, where in most churches it would take a period of time. But FBC, there is a lesson to be learned here is that the praise of men, especially religious people, is not our goal The praise of men is not our goal, for the praise and the approval of men will not last. It will not last. One second, they are speaking well of Jesus. The next, they're trying to throw him off a cliff. We see it in the Passover week. It's no different. One minute, they praise him and lay down their their coats and their olive branches, and then the next, at the end of the week, they are crucifying him. And the same thing happens in our churches today. One moment, people love the new worship. They love the new songs. They love the new style, whatever it may be. But only a few years later, they're only complaining, needing something new, needing something better. Needing, we need to change it up a little more. No longer satisfied. You build a new building, and everybody comes, and they sit in the new building, and they love the new building. But only a few years later, you can't fill up the seats. And you're still paying on the loan that you used to buy the new building that was going to bring everybody in. But only a few years later, they all left. left. We do an exciting program, we do an exciting event, and all of a sudden you gain a bunch of people, but if you don't continue to do that every month and every week and, and every year, if you don't continue to, to, continue to have these things, then, then well, they're just going to leave, and, or maybe they did leave, and we need to bring them back. We love the new preacher, he's very exciting, we love, we love his charisma, we love his, his messages, he has the gracious words. But all of a sudden, when the pastor's truth begins to confront you with your misconceptions, maybe confront you with your sin or the things that you've got wrong, all of a sudden we need to fire him, we need to get rid of him. We do this all the time. We're no, the, the problem is, is that we're really no different than these people, is that we're all about praising and approving things that go our way, but the moment that we are confronted, it all changes. And this is the problem with churches who constantly begin to run after and seek after the praise and the approval of men. It will never, ever last. It will never last. Beloved, if you believe a church's ministry and the preaching and the worship is to be done in such a way to seek the praise and the approval of men, then you are just like the man in Jesus' parable who built his house on the sand rather than the rock. And we know how that parable ends. It comes crashing down. What Jesus is showing us here and what we find with the people of Nazareth is, is that if we are seeking the praise and the approval of men, that those who are doing the praise and the approval are actually in unbelief. And they have rejected Jesus Christ and they have rejected the Word of God. Those people are not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ because the word of God is not enough for them, they need something else. Dear friends, if this is how we run our church, then you need to repent. We, as a church, need to repent. If we are a church who is seeking after the approval of those outside the church, and if we are making decisions on our practices on the approval in certain men and women inside the church, then we as a church need to repent and confront those who are causing the problems because we are building a house. We are building not just a house. We are building a church on sand, and it's going to come crashing down. This is the reason why so many churches 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago were just so vibrant and had tons of people, but now they're dead. And they're looking for new ways to fill them. We need to repent if we're that type of church. Instead, we are not to seek the approval of men. We are not to seek the praise of men because it will not last. What we are to seek is an audience of one, the the approval and the praise and the honor of God himself and the devotion and commitment of God's people. We We are to seek and to proclaim that men and women who are members of a church are to be committed to the word of God, to be committed to him, his word, and the church and need to stop trying to tickle the ears of men. And if you are someone this morning who seeks to be pleased, and if you're not pleased, well, then you're going to let everybody know about it. If you're not pleased, then you're going to be the one to get the riot together, to throw whoever it is that you're upset about over the, over the cliff. If you're going to fuss and, and, and run off to another church every time you get upset, dear friend, hear me, this morning you are in sin, you are in unbelief, and you are rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you need to repent. Because that is what's going on here. Jesus himself stands in the pulpit and preaches. And all is good until his truth and his message reveals their sin and their misconceptions. Dear friends, we are to look past how the sermons and the teachings of Sunday school and the preachers and we are to look past how exciting and the tickling of the ears and we are to truly begin to to examine the sound teaching and doctrine and the words that come from the preacher's lip, from the Sunday school teacher's lip, from those who mentor us. We are to examine our life according to the word of God that is being preached and taught and stop seeking the approval and the praise of men. Because it will not last. And it is a sign of our unbelief. Because we would rather their approval than the approval of the one who is the one true God. Amen? Notice secondly the sinful denial though. Notice here what Jesus says in verse 22, the second part. He says, and they were saying, is this not the son of Joseph? I love this. Things were going well at first, and all of a sudden now they begin to question. They begin to deny. What is the truth that he was preaching that they denied so harshly? Verse 21. Everything was good until this point. Everything was good until verse 21 because Christ then said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And if you're wondering what that means, you'll have to go back to last week's sermon. You can pull that off the website or the app. But go back to last week's sermon. It's the mission of the Messiah. And he is proclaiming himself to be right now, presently. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. The one God has promised to come and be our salvation. So everything was good until he said that. For he was proclaiming to be the chosen chosen Savior. God's chosen Savior. Now, there are two layers to their denial that I need you to see. First is that familiarity that we talked about earlier, the familiarity with Jesus. And then secondly, I'm going to show you the second layer, which is the, their need for evidence, their need for a miracle. But notice first their familiarity with Jesus and religion. For they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, this was not a positive remark. This is not like someone going, well, that's the... That's the son of Robert McAllister. Man, I'm so happy. No, that's not what this was. That's the son of Joseph. Who does he think he is? This is not a positive remark. Instead, it was a reasoning away the truth because they they thought they knew. I know better than he does, right? They, They had watched him grow up as a child, as a young man. These were neighbors. These were longtime church members. The, these were the guys when, when when a crisis happened, you know, with one of the animals, or or maybe Mary and Joseph wanted to to go out on a date. That they went to the neighbors. And said, can you watch Jesus for us? I, I don't know, but these these are the people in the community, the neighbors. Jesus played with their kids. He hung out with them. They knew him from from little Bitty to the grown man that he is. It is very likely that these individuals had memories of him. But not only that, they were very familiar with the scriptures. They attended the same synagogue week after week with him. They listened to the same rabbis teaching the same scriptures. And it's very likely that they had heard Isaiah 61, which we looked at earlier last week preached and taught on many different times, it's likely that they memorize Isaiah 61. But their familiarity and their pride was their downfall. You see, they reasoned his teaching away because they knew, right? They thought, who does he think he is? That's Joseph's son. I mean, let's not even get into the fact that we really question if he's really Joseph's son. And he is a carpenter and he's a son of a carpenter. We know the scriptures. We sat in the same synagogue with him. We know the scriptures. We were taught the same scriptures he were taught. We know what the Messiah is supposed to do when he comes. We know what he's going to look like. We know how he's going to act. And I can tell you this. The Messiah ain't no son of a carpenter. It ain't no Jesus. Because we know. You see what just happened? God just stood before them and revealed himself to them. And he said, I'm here. The God of heaven, the God that created all things and called these people to be His chosen people and told them He was going to come to them one day has stood before them and He says to them in audible words and in flesh, He says to them, I am here. And they reasoned it away. God has revealed Himself and they missed it. Beloved, because you grew up in church and as some of you, it may be this very church or in, a, in another church long enough, you, you have grown up in church you have been inside the sanctuary and Sunday school more times than you can count and you've, you've sat under the, the preaching and teaching. You probably have sat under the preaching and teaching of this very passage right here. You have heard it more times than you can count, right? You are familiar with it and you believe that there is no way that anyone can ever exhaust it, right? You have got it figured out, You know, you know the word of God. You know, it ain't nobody going to tell you anything different. There's nothing that you know and you believe that can be wrong. There is nothing anyone can teach you. There is nothing more to be revealed to you because you went to church so much. You are familiar with it. And when God shows up on Sunday morning and reveals himself through the reading and the preaching of the word you miss it because you've heard it before. You've been here long enough all your life. What more can what more could I teach you? Because you know. And so you do this And when God reveals himself Sunday after Sunday, you miss it. You will not consider what another person says because you already know. There's no deep biblical truths because they may actually challenge your already preconceived opinions and ideas. And so you don't dig deeper. Why dig deeper? You won't give new songs a try because all you hear is a tune that really is not normal to you. It's, it's not familiar to you. So why, why sing new songs? Why, why do things worship this way? And so you miss the truth of the word of God that is portrayed in the message of the song itself. You complain about biblical church practices because they're not what's familiar to you. We just haven't done it that way before you reason away the conviction of your sin and you do it with those old familiar sayings don't you well god forgives everybody sins and god's a loving god so really i'm okay beloved this is a sign of unbelief in our hearts And it is a rejection of God because when he shows up to reveal himself through his word, we will not listen to it. We must pray for humility and we must become a student of the word of God rather than a teacher and scholar in familiarity and tradition. I would encourage you that you would become a student of God, of his word, God's word, instead of trying to be a teacher and scholar in familiarity and tradition. And realize that you cannot exhaust the Bible. There is never a day that you're going to come into a Sunday school class or into a church and believe that there's not something new. That there's not something there that you can learn. And that there's not an area in your life in which you cannot grow. If you believe this, dear friend, you are living in unbelief and you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. There is always something to learn. There is always an area in which we can grow. But that wasn't all. There was also another issue here. There were their need for signs and miracles. Notice verse 23. He says, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. You see, Jesus knew their hearts and minds. And so he publicly says what they were thinking privately. Once it began to set in, once it began to realize that after they were like, that was a really good message. That was a real, whoa, wait a minute. Did he just say what I think he said? He just called himself the Messiah. Oh, he better prove that. Oh, he better heal my aunt aunt or my my mama. Dear friends, let this be a lesson to you. Though you may never voice your unbelief to those of us around you, God sees and God hears your heart. He sees the unbelief and the rejection in, in your heart. And so the people of Nazareth the religious people of Nazareth did not believe and they demanded evidence within their hearts they demanded the son of god prove himself to them heal yourself prove yourself if your medicine is so good then you need to then we want to see you take your own medicine And so like with familiarity the demand for signs is also an expression of unbelief I believe this is why Luke switched the 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 order of the three temptations and put the last one which Matthew has as the second the one where he jumps off remember that was an issue of signs that give the people a sign that you are the Messiah because now we see that it goes here the very thing that Satan tempted Jesus with now the people of his hometown are asking for and demanding just like Satan give us a sign prove yourself to us For Nazareth and Israel, they demanded that Jesus Christ perform supernatural miracles before they would believe. But in our day, for you and I, it is mystical and emotional experiences. In order for me to believe that the word of God is true that you're telling me, I need to feel it. Listen to R.C. Sproul from his book, Knowing the Scriptures. He said, many of us have become sensuous Christians Living by our feelings rather than through our understanding of the word of God. Sensuous Christians cannot be moved to service, prayer, or study unless they, here we go, feel like it. They have to feel it. Their, Their Christian life is only as effective as the intensity of present feelings They constantly seek new and fresh experiences and use them to determine the Word of God. Their inner feeling, how they feel about themselves and how they feel about God, that's what I feel, becomes the ultimate test of truth. They don't need to study the Word of God because they already know the will of God because they feel it. They don't want to know God They want to experience God. Let me say that again because I think this is important. They don't want to know God. They want to experience God. FBC, God never commanded you to ever experience Him. You will not find that in the Scriptures. Let me say it again. God never commanded you to experience Him, to feel Him. God commanded you to know Him. To know Him through the reading and the study and the preaching of His Word. How does one come to know Him? Through the revelation of the Word of God. The reading, preaching, study of the Word. Yet you demand that you would feel God rather than know and understand God. This is unbelief. This is sin. If you base your beliefs about God and about yourself and about the world on how you feel... You are rejecting the word of God that would say that may say opposite of what you believe or what you feel. And this is unbelief. Because his word isn't real until you feel it. God has to prove it to me first. I've got to feel it. I've got to feel it in my gut. I've got to feel it in my heart. And once I feel it, then I'll put my stamp of approval on it. The word of God is right. Beloved, if this is you, then I would pray. I would encourage you this morning that you would pray for faith and trust in the Word of God, not based upon your feelings. I would pray that you would begin to trust in the Word of God and let the Word of God reveal to you truth, even if it doesn't feel right at times. Because remember, the people that didn't feel it are the very people who tried to throw him off a cliff. If this is describing you this morning, I would pray that you would repent of trusting your feelings, which are sinful, by the way, and will misguide you more than trusting the Word of God. And I would encourage you this morning that today would be a day that you would commit your life to seek less experiences and less feelings and more understanding of the Word of God. Which, by the way, will increase your feeling and your experiences seek the understanding of the word of God and allow that to begin to to comfort you and bring joy to your life not the other way well beloved we need to stop seeking religious experiences and start seeking to to know and understand the word of God Amen? I think this is the reason why our culture is in a pickle. Why we're messed up is because we have sought after our feelings, which are sinful, and we have done sinful things, rather than the Word of God, which is our rock and our compass. It's sinful and it is a rejection of Christ when we have to prove the Word of God by how we feel and when, we re, and when we will not believe because of our traditions and our familiarity. So I want you to notice thirdly the rebuke of Christ. Notice here in verse 24. And I'm going to sum this up for us because of time's sake. There's a lot here, but I'm going to sum it up for you. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath and the land of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian." Now, this is very interesting. This is a rebuke because these Jews, all Jews, hated these two stories because God showed favor to Gentiles and not Jews during really difficult times. Jesus says to them he says no prophet is is accepted in his hometown it's just a proverb but then he goes but but let me use the proverb and then let me give you proof and he gives two prophets that they knew well Elijah and Elisha who they love by the way at this time they love those two guys they didn't like them back then but you know history tends to change our perspective so they loved them then now and so he says let me tell you about Elijah and Elisha and let me tell you about the widow and Naaman now the widow She was during the time of Ahab. And so God had pronounced judgment and there was a drought. And so guess what was happening to all the widows in Israel? They were dying. Because they were not getting food. They were not getting water. And God did nothing to show favor unto them. But God sends Elijah into the the land of Sidon. This is Gentile territory to a widow who we find who is apparently a believer. One widow. Not in Israel, but in a pagan country. They would have said she deserved, if she would have died, she deserved what she got. Then you got Naaman, who was a leper. And not just a leper, he was a Gentile. Not just a Gentile, he was a great military leader of the Syrian army. The enemy of Israel. And yet there is no... Up until this time, there is no record, there is no nothing of, of anyone receiving a, a, a healing of, of leprosy in that time. But God sends Elisha over to, the or, 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 or Naaman comes to Elisha, actually comes to Elisha, and he says, he says, I hear that your God can heal me. And he doesn't believe at first, but then he does, and, and, he, and he's healed. What's the point of these two stories? Just as Elijah and Elisha, provide no physical mercy for the widows and the lepers in Israel, the Messiah will not provide physical mercy for the people of Nazareth. Let me say it again. Just as Elijah and Elisha provided no physical mercy for the widows and lepers in Israel, so the Messiah will not provide physical mercy for the people of Nazareth. In other words, your unbelief even if it's disguised in religion, will receive no mercy from God, not even a sign. You will receive not even a sign or, or an act of mercy from God, but the worst sinner who believes in God will find mercy and salvation in Him. The two stories teach us that on the day of judgment, the mercy of God will be revealed on the most unlikely of people, While many religious people will receive the very opposite of what they thought they deserved. They will receive no mercy from God. There are people who have no religious upbringing. They're foul-mouthed. They have immoral lifestyles. They're enemies of our nation. They look different. They have a sketchy past and more. But God has chosen to show mercy upon them. They have repented of their sins and they have believed upon Him. And God has saved them. But there are religious people who were brought up all of their life in church. Who said the right things and did the right things and believed the traditions of their day. And in their unbelief, they rejected God. But you never knew it because of their religious status. And on the day of judgment, God will show no mercy to them. They will only receive judgment. Hear the word of the Lord this morning, FBC. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. God can save anyone. God can save anyone. And and maybe you are not religious. And and maybe you have a checkered past. And maybe you're presently living in some really bad sin. And you come this morning and you hear all this. And you're under conviction of all this. Know this. God can save you. God can save the pagan Gentile woman in the land of the Gentile. God can save the, the leper Naaman God can save and show mercy to whoever He desires. How? How can He do this? How can you be saved? But through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Christ who was perfect and never sinned and never did anything wrong. Who went and died on the hill of Calvary. And there He dies a living sacrifice. And He rises in power. The power to forgive sins. The sins of the religious people? Absolutely. The sins of the non-religious people? Absolutely. To those who are sinful and repent of their sins and believe upon Christ and not reject Him as Savior will find mercy and salvation on the day of judgment. You need only call out to Him today. You need only repent of your sins today. Turn from your sins and seek never to sin again. And seek to worship God and God alone if you confess and believe the gospel that has been presented to you this morning, that Jesus is the way and the only way of salvation, you will be saved no matter your religious upbringing. This is the word of the Lord. This is what He promises to us. But let the religious also hear the word of the Lord. God will judge the unbeliever no matter how religious you are you are this should shake every one of us to our core this is not an attempt to scare you this is not an attempt to 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 make you do anything this morning but it is an attempt to make an encouragement to examine your heart you need to examine your heart this morning you need to examine your heart as individuals and as a church this morning that you are not like Matthew 7, 23, and 24 where they said, Lord, Lord, did we not do many religious things? And Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You need to examine your heart this morning for false belief. Ask yourself, do you desire the praise of men versus the devotion and the worship of God? Or do you desire to be praised and have your ear tickled versus the understanding and the devotion and the worship of God. If so, this is a sign of something. Has religious familiarity caused you to be prideful? You walk into the church and you believe, I know it, and there ain't nothing anyone else can teach me. Do you think that you know And that there is nothing that that can be taught to you and you can't be wrong and that God can't reveal anything else to you. God can't reveal a deeper truth to you. But, But it'll shatter me. Love, we need to be shattered. If so, dear friends, this is a sign of rejection of the Word of God and the revelation of God. Do you search for experiences and a feeling rather than... Rather than just knowing the Word, just understanding God, would you rather go from event to event to event and crusade from crusade, crusade, and thing versus thing, music versus music, rather than sit in your own home and study the Word of God and come to know Him? Brothers and sisters, if this is the case, then we have a problem. We have a problem. And dear friends, let me ask you this. When the revelation of God comes to you and the word of God is given to you as evidence and there's no hope but, but but there's only you're only left with this is it. When it comes to you and it challenges you do you submit do you do you fall in humility and submit or do you become like these guys did and become angry and mad? How dare you say something against my worldview? Do you become full of rage and anger that anyone would challenge you, that anyone would question you, that anyone would present to you deeper biblical truth, anyone would present to you the gospel? Brothers and sisters, if so, this is a sign of unbelief. And you should be afraid. And if it's not and it is a sign of unhealthy, spiritual unhealthiness. If this is you this morning, then, then hear the rebuke of Jesus this morning and respond, not in rage, but in humility. Love, could you just bow with me as we enter into a time of invitation this morning? Bow with me this morning and let me just encourage you. If this is you this morning, if you are one of these individuals this morning if you have examined your heart and you have found it to be unbelieving, you have found that that you are in need of salvation, then hear me this morning, God can and will save you. Repent. Confess. Turn away from your sin. And call out to Him for salvation. Because salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus and Jesus alone. Turn from your sins. Turn from your unbelief. And embrace the Word of God. I encourage you today that if this is you, that if you are embracing, if you are coming and you are calling on God to save you, then then find someone and share that with it. Make that public. And not only that, find someone this morning and let us walk with you through this that you may know the joy of salvation. You say, Brother Ron, I'm, I'm not saved. I'm a sinner in sin. I need someone. Let, man, come. Let, it can be an invitation. It can be any time. But, but come to someone this week and talk with them and let them walk with you through the joy of salvation. And if you were someone who examined your heart this morning and you found that, you know what, Brother Brian, it may not be unbelief, but I am unhealthy. Because I become very angry when, when, people, when people show me truths that, that just really don't go with my worldview and my own opinions. I, Br- Brother Brian, I, I struggle with familiarity and I struggle with, with digging in the Word. I want my feelings and I want my ears tickled and I, I want to experience God rather know God and if you're under conviction this morning, you say, I- I'm a believer, but I'm just unhealthy. May you confess that to him this morning? Confess that to God and turn from it. Repent of it. And begin seeking to know God through the teaching of his word, through the study of through the, your personal study, through the preaching, through the worship service, commitment and devotion to the worship and to the church itself. Dear friend, find you an individual who would walk with you and help you to grow and learn that you may know and understand God. And beloved, I promise you if you do this, you will know joy. You will know the joy. Of being a believer. Let's pray.